With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramay. Hey everybody, what is up? Welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One here on the Overtime Media Network. Mark Daly here, hanging out once again in the Vivid Seat studio. We're going to talk about the Italian Grand Prix. We're going to talk about Charles Leclerc. We're going to talk about a whole lot of things today on the show. And what a hell of a race that was at Monza last weekend. Exciting, exciting stuff right from the moments the lights went green right to the checkered flag. So much action on and off the track, really. It was a race, I think, that was, I think it defined what was probably a lot of the best and the worst of Formula One, depending on your point of view. And Charles Leclerc and Sebastian Vettel and Ferrari, can we just get it out there right now? That was a statement race by Charles Leclerc. Now winning two races back-to-back, weekend to weekend, first at Spa-Francorchamps two weeks ago, and then at Italy, following it up at Ferrari's home race, winning at Monza for the first time since 2010 and doing it in impressive fashion. And again, Sebastian Vettel has a moment going off of the track, and that was a race that Sebastian had the pace to win, and it was a little bit mixed up because of the bizarreness that happened in Q3 and qualifying and uh, well we'll talk about that in a moment but I think what we saw there was a changing of the guard Sebastian has been the benefactor of being the number one driver but we've seen the signs from Charles Leclerc all season long he should have gotten his first race win way back at race number two in Bahrain but was robbed by that uh, unfortunate mechanical issue that he had with the, the the engine late in the race and it took a long time to get that race win uh, at, at Spa-Francorchamps and he followed it up in amazing fashion but it wasn't without controversy Charles definitely going right up to that invisible line in the sand as to what is fair and what is not fair or, or dirty racing really well pun intended here pushing the envelope as to what was acceptable and getting the black and white flag for the um, his antics, uh, pushing uh, Lewis Hamilton a little wide and Charles admitting he went right up to the limit. And well, depending on your point of view, if you're pro Hamilton, pro Mercedes, you'll probably say that Charles went right up to the line and cl- crossed clearly over it. If you're more of a Ferrari fan and a Charles Leclerc fan, you'll probably be airing on the other side that Charles went up to the other side, maybe played in the little glare, gray area of as to what is acceptable and what isn't, but uh, stayed well inside of what was uh, fair racing. Anyways, let's talk first. Let's go over the uh, the race uh, or the race order at the final classification P1 to 10, starting with Charles Leclerc, second race win for Ferrari, second career win. Came home just over, sorry, just under 
a second ahead of Valtteri Bottas. Lewis Hamilton uh, finishing third, 35 seconds uh, behind, of course, going in for a late pit stop to change tires. And fourth and fifth, Danny Ricardo and Nico Hulkenberg in the best race for uh, uh, Renault by far this season. Alex Albon in P6 for the uh, Red Bull. Sergio Perez, seventh for the racing points. Eighth, Max Verstappen, after starting way at the back of the grid, managed to get all the way back up into eighth. Antonio Giovinazzi, ninth for Alfa Romeo, and Lando Norris rounding out the top 10 for McLaren. And looking now at the standings on the driver's side, Lewis only managing a P3 means that he didn't really pull away too much in the championship. 284 points, which is still miles ahead of everyone else, including his teammate Valtteri Bottas, second in the world championship with 221 points. Max Verstappen, third in the world championship, just three points ahead of Charles Leclerc. Max on 185, Charles with 182. Sebastian Vettel has now dropped down to fifth in the world championship with 169 points. Pierre Gasly is sixth, Carlos Sainz seventh, Danny Ricardo eighth, Alex Albon ninth, and Danny Kvyat for Toro Rosso rounding out the top 10. And he has a mere 33 points, but not bad for a Toro Rosso driver. And going now quickly to the Constructors uh, Championship. Mercedes way out in front, of course, 505 points. Ferrari, 351. Red Bull, through 266 for a third in the Constructors. McLaren, Renault, 83 points. But with the the fourth and fifth uh, last weekend for um, uh, Renault, they are now six, sorry, have 65 uh, points in the Constructors, which is good enough uh, for fifth. So they're starting to close in a little bit on uh, McLaren because... Uh, Carlos Sainz had a DNF at Monza and Lando only bringing home a single point uh, for P10. And then that's it. That is the top five. Well, let's uh, just for the hell of it, let's just go down through the, the the rest of the constructors. There's only five more teams after all. Toro Rosso sixth, Racing Point seventh, Alfa Romeo eighth, uh, Haas is ninth, and then Williams Mercedes tenth in the world championship on the constructor side with one world championship point after a whole lot of races raced in 2019 but wow that was an exciting exciting race but it was it was controversial uh, not just in the race itself also going back uh, to q3 and that was about the weirdest qualifying session i think i've ever seen Q1, Q2, pretty much standard fare, what you would expect to see anytime during a qualifying session. But it was strange when it came down to the final run of the day in the top 10 shootout with everything still to play for. And I know that there is a lot of mind games. There's a lot of strategy that goes on and a lot of thought goes into it from the guys up on the pit wall. But you didn't have to be a Formula One genius to take a look at the amount of time that was left in Q3 on the clock and just how much time they needed to get out of the pits onto the track and get around and cross start finish with time to spare to put in that uh, that hot lap and they just didn't manage to do it <laughs> and we were watching at the time and uh, and commenting just among ourselves as uh, sitting at home here in Vancouver Canada that it just didn't look like they were going to be able to do it 
but it did end up in a little bit of, um, well, let's just face it, Nico Hulkenberg, Carlos Sainz, and Lance Stroll were the uh, the naughty ones in that one. And I know it all comes down to jockeying for position and uh, nobody wants to be the first car out, and they, especially around a power track like Monza, you want to get the, the, benefit, or the, 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 the benefit of getting behind a car into the sli- slipstream and get a tow. It uh, really does make a, a difference on a track like that, but uh, it was bizarre just how they came out of the pits into the first chicane of Redifilio and they really didn't go anywhere and all of a sudden the the, the reality of the situation kind of kicked in and everybody decided to floor it but by that time it was just uh, way too late they weren't going to make it around uh, basically three quarters of the track in time to get around before time expired and uh, that's uh, the it ended the way that it did and they were uh, reprimanded for driving unnecessarily as uh, stewards and um, the, the the race stewards uh, headed by uh, Michael Massey have uh, asked the the FIA to find ways to avoid a repeat scenario in the future. I mean, of course, it is strategy, but it just is a bad look for Formula One. It makes it look uh, bush. It makes it look silly. And uh, certainly, I hope that it's uh, something that uh, we we don't, (coughs) excuse me, we don't see again uh, anytime uh, soon. But it was, uh, like I say, it was was bizarre. And uh, by the time it was all said and done, it was uh, Charles Leclerc who uh, came out uh, claim pole position with a, a Q3 time of 119. 19.307 not too bad about uh, three and a half tenths ahead of uh sorry three and a half hundredths ahead of lewis hamilton who set a q3 time of 119.35 or 346 which is very very uh, narrow gap uh, to his uh, teammate valtteri bottas who set a time of 119.354 and sebastian vettel he had a time uh, set a time of 119.457 so i mean they were all pretty close the top four cars and uh, it was just unfortunate I, i'm pretty sure sebastian vettel and lewis hamilton well, i think any one of those um, uh, four cars in the uh, in the top four the ferrari or the mercedes cars um, reckon that they could have improved on their time so they were all justifiably uh, annoyed but again uh, in the in the Q3 outside of the top four we had uh, Danny Ricardo and uh, Nico Hulkenberg in the the, the pair of Renaults uh, fifth and sixth on the grid Carlos Sainz uh, seventh Alex Albon eighth Lance Stroll <laughs> Lance who didn't make it out of Q1 for what was it about 15 races in a row or something like that he managed to get all the way up to, to p9 and of course uh, was one of the uh one of the uh, the the uh, transgressors in that uh, business at the end there and uh Kimi Raikkonen uh, ended up in 10th ended up uh, starting from the, uh, the the pit lane after crashing out and having to change his gearbox so that was a little bit um, uh, unfortunate I mean his teammate uh, Antonio Giovinazzi uh, was 11th so not not a bad uh, qualifying for the alphas although uh, Raikkonen saw Suffering from uh, some uh, other issues there, but it was uh, it was uh, frustrating to see the race uh, or the qualifying end that it did. But it is what it is, and it was what it was. And Charles claiming pole position again and was in a, a strong position uh, to take that uh, or, or res- uh, start that race. I mean, uh, pole position uh, not necessarily guarantee or a victory around a, uh, a track like Monza, but certainly uh, set him uh, up uh, very nicely. And then there, there were plenty of things uh, that uh, that came out post race, including uh, Charles Leclerc saying. Vers- 
Verstappen lesson helped me beat Hamilton. And this is an article from uh, motorsport.com. And if you'll remember it, uh, turn three at uh, the Red Bull ring at the Austrian Grand Prix a couple of months ago, um, it was a hard-charging Max Verstappen who uh, muscled his way past uh, Charles Leclerc and forced his way uh, through there. It was a bit dodgy. It was um, it was aggressive. It was uh, on the line. I mean, if uh, people were saying, saying uh, Charles is uh, uh, carrying on or tactics, whatever you want to call it, uh, his manner behind the wheel and defending his uh, lead uh, from the likes of uh, Lewis Hamilton and, and Valtteri Bottas, especially against Lewis, if um, some of the things that uh, that he was uh, doing were being called into question by uh, by people, then certainly Matt, uh, Max's barging through should uh, be uh, considered in uh, much the same light. But be that as it may, um, Charles uh, did say that he learned something uh, after that, and uh, he said, and I quote, uh, since Austria is clear, we can go a bit further in the way we defend and overtake, and it's just uh, the aggressiveness of us drivers. I believe that Austria helped me change the approach, and today it's also thanks to this that I managed to win. It was obviously very much on the limit, but I'm happy to race like this. And I think that is a, it's a good point. Uh, we, we, we saw that example from Michael Schumacher over the years, just how far he was willing to go and what he thought was necessary to win races. And I'm not comparing uh, Charles Leclerc and Michael Schumacher head to head. I mean, we're, we're a long ways from that. But the thing is, you have to be a little bit ruthless. You have to maybe dive into these gray areas uh, and maybe do things that are going to upset some people. And uh, and Lewis very upset about some of the things that, uh, that Charles Leclerc was doing on, on Sunday afternoon. But like I say, I think it's it's really open for interpretation, certainly when they went into the chicane um, at that one point when Lewis was all over the backs of um, Charles's gearbox. And it was interesting how the, the two cars differed in various parts of the track and how at certain times uh, Lewis would be able to get a good toe and close up and, and get really close and look like he'd be able to um, make a, an attempt to try and pass Charles Leclerc. But then just at other parts of the circus, even with the DRS, the Ferrari, the straight line speed, especially down the start finish straight was absolutely impressive. You could just tell from the in-car camera that uh, that Lewis or Valtteri Bottas, whoever it might have been, whoever was behind Charles Leclerc was just not gaining an inch on him. And you could just tell, even though the commentators kind of played it up again, here comes Lewis, here comes Valtteri, here comes whoever, that when you just looked at it, especially when they went into the, uh, into the chicane at turn one, that the the distance was just too great. They weren't going to outbreak themselves uh, or outbreak uh, Charles Leclerc and dive up the inside in some sort of Danny Ricardo type of overtaking. But uh, it was it, it was it was very interesting to see. But uh, especially when they got to the, the the chicane there, about a third of the way around the track, you could see, and I, and I didn't really pick up on it too much at the time. I mean, I was a little bit caught up in the moment, to to, to be quite honest. And I say, well, you know, why did Charles get the um, get the black and white flag? I thought he did okay. I mean, but what he did, and if you watch the replay again he definitely moves over he's kind of a little bit in the middle of the track but as they go towards the corner of that chicane you can see Charles starting to drift somewhat slowly and once somewhat sneakily towards the outside of the track leaving Lewis uh, not much room and uh, forcing him to to go off of the track and take that escape road and then uh, come back around uh, back to, to rejoin the track and certainly I mean if 
I mean, I guess hindsight is twenty twenty, and it's one thing to say after the race, after maybe it's a little bit uh, controversial, and Charles Leclerc might say, "Oh yeah, I knew what I was doing. I know it was uh, it was right on the limit. I know what uh, where that is." Perhaps that tr- that that's true, but also uh, it, it's an easy way to maybe kind of back up and uh, defend your uh, your your position or your you know your your reasoning behind it uh, for uh, you know to to do what you did. But certainly it is. It was a lot more subtle than, say, I wouldn't say the uh, Verstappen chop because it wasn't really a chop. But I mean, they did come up with some of these rules because um, uh, Max, a couple of years ago, it was very pronounced what he was doing. He would de- he would make that one defensive maneuver that he's allowed to make, but under braking, he would pull over to one side of the track, and it would be a lot more pronounced, a lot more obvious than uh, what uh, Charles Leclerc did. And then Charles again, um, you know, he was also accused by Lewis by being going a little bit too slow at one point, and then uh, again he outbraked himself into turn one and had to take uh, that little uh, escape road there, and uh, Lewis was all over that as well. So I mean, the thing is. It was a great battle to watch, and uh, I'll be honest, and I, I don't think this is uh, uh, it should become as too much of a shocker. I'm getting tired of watching Lewis Hamilton win, and I'll explain why after the short break here on the Overtime Media Network. After we hear a short word from our sponsors, so don't go away. We'll be right back in just a moment. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights and more. Whether you're into speed, power or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, welcome back to Scuderia F1 here on the Overtime Media Network. Mark Daly hanging out once again in the Vivid Seat studio talking about the Italian Grand Prix. And yes, I know it's a shocker that uh, my, my admission just before the break there that I'm tired of watching Lewis Hamilton win. I, I don't have anything against Lewis. I, he's one of the best Grand Prix drivers ever. And he's not slowing down at the age. I mean, he's not old. I mean, he's only in his early 30s. I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to go down there. I mean, if he's old, then I'm downright ancient. And I'm not really all that old at least by my my own reckoning but the the point is Lewis is a great driver, obviously one of the best ever. He's the best driver in Formula One at the moment, and he has been for a very, very long time. But since 2014 and watching Mercedes win each and every week, more or less, and winning championship after a championship, it does get a little bit monotonous. And uh, it it is refreshing to see uh, other drivers getting their chance. I mean, there's been plenty of other drivers who've won races since uh, we we introduced the the V6 uh, turbo hybrid engines. It hasn't been all their way, but I mean, most of the races uh, or the majority of the time it is uh, Mercedes that have come out on top but the thing is 
I wouldn't have minded, even from my perspective and my my uh, my preferences, I would have been perfectly happy to watch Lewis Hamilton win that race because it was a great scrap that was going on between them. Two really, really good racing drivers going at it. And even though it got a little bit uh, questionable, you know, Charles, like I say, playing in that gray area as to what is uh, fair and what isn't in uh, defending his uh, his lead there. But still, it was fun to watch. I mean, Lewis, you know he's going to go at it. He's going to race as hard as he can, and he's going to do whatever it takes to get around the car. I mean, he tried. He did everything he could to get around Charles Leclerc, but just the the, the benefit that the Ferrari had on some of those certain sections of the track, that straight line speed was just the advantage that he needed. And ultimately, Lewis paid for it because he wasn't able to to, to capitalize on um, the, the advantage he maybe had over Charles Leclerc when his tire were fresher because you have to remember after they changed the tires at the first pit stop Lewis uh, went out on medium tires Charles went out on the hard tires and still the performance between them I mean even though he was on the hardest compound tires Charles Leclerc was still very very quick compared to Lewis Hamilton and it was a gamble that uh, that really paid off and well I don't know if it was a gamble but it was certainly a strategy that uh, worked uh, very well for them and you just knew that when he came out of the pits just a couple of car lengths in, in front of Lewis that his immediate opportunity his best window was going to be in the that that's that very short period of time after Charles came out from the pits and as it took more time to warm and get uh, those uh, hard tires up to the proper temperature and get the grip uh, that uh, that he needed but at the end of it it's it, he he wasn't able to do it and then of course of over time the tires began to uh, degrade and uh, Lewis just wasn't able to, to to stick with it and his tires were looking quite angry looking quite uh, blistered on that right front at, uh, at at one point and he was forced to make a, a pit stop late in the race I mean sure he, Lewis doesn't really need the uh, the extra insurance or the the, the bad, uh, added comfort or buffer of getting that uh, extra point for uh, getting the fastest lap of the race but uh, Lewis is going to have to he'll do whatever he takes to to, to get points where he can get them so I mean that wasn't a big surprise but w- what I did find surprising was that uh, that, that Valtteri Bottas who did have uh, fresher tires than uh, Charles Leclerc still wasn't able to uh, really make a, a good go at him and uh, Total Wolf team principal of uh, Mercedes uh, said it, it it really kind of brought to light the fact that that uh, that, that Valtteri Bottas maybe is not quite the best driver when uh, following in the uh, the arrow wake uh, behind a, a car in front of him and it looked like he was going to have have a couple of laps right at the very end there when he would have an opportunity to challenge himself uh, for the lead and he had a couple of little looks and then unfortunately uh, for, for Valtteri he just uh, he, he boggled it up a, a little bit uh, right at uh, the end of the straightaway going into turn one and much like uh, many other people I mean he, he wasn't the only person so it's uh, not completely uh, fair to single him out for that but he did get his braking a little bit uh, wrong and uh, he went uh, too deep into that corner and that just uh, gave Charles a little bit of an added uh, buffer and a, a little bit of access extra comfort because I mean if that lap or that race goes another couple laps maybe he gets around and maybe he gets uh, gets that victory after all but the last Sunday he didn't in the time that he had and that one tiny little error which just uh, you know cost uh, or, or gave Charles a second or whatever it was was just enough he, even though uh, Valtteri was able to close it up and uh, finish the race just uh, a second behind him but I think for me one of the most important or, or one of the most uh, 
crucial things that that was such a statement um, from Charles Leclerc was the fact not that uh, he well I mean obviously it was the, the the way that he won the race but he did it largely on his own because he didn't have the benefit of uh, having um, Sebastian Vettel his uh, his teammate uh, there uh, to to help him out and maybe run a little bit of inter- interference I mean uh, Sebastian I mean let's just be fair I mean he is a bit of a support driver at the, the, this point in time and um, I, I just get the feeling now that uh, that that his position of privilege within Ferrari within the team is uh, no longer what uh, what it meant, what it once was I mean uh, Charles has proven uh, in, in his first season uh, with Ferrari his second in Formula One that uh, that he's up for it he's up for the task and he knows what it uh, takes to, to win races and uh, he's uh, he's quite capable of doing so and uh, doing it uh, in the way that needs to be done but I, I think that is uh, it's really really crucial because I mean he had to absorb a lot of pressure over a lot of uh, the, the the race Let, let's just be fair I mean he basically was under pressure from Lewis Hamilton or Valtteri Bottas the entire length of that Grand Prix because uh, Sebastian Vettel spinning out early in the race while running fourth and uh, you know it could have been he maybe he would have been stuck behind the the, the two Mercedes cars. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe he gets in front of them at at the pit stops. Whatever it might have been, but uh, at least uh, let's go from the hypothetical um, uh, stance that okay, let let let's say we had a Ferrari front row lockout on um, you know to, to to start this race rather than first and fourth because of the uh, the the botched uh, Q3 session. But uh, you know he would have had that benefit really to take a lot of. Um, uh, pressure off Charles Leclerc by maybe just running a little bit slower and then having the benefit of just being able to to, to open up that gap between himself and the f- following uh, Mercedes cars. While Charles Charles slowly builds up a bit of a buffer, a little bit of insurance between himself and the Mercedes cars uh, behind him. But he didn't have that because Sebastian Vettel, and once again, losing the car and going off. And, um, you know, what do you say at this point? What do you say at this point? And uh, I've, I've been accused by, by some people that listen to this show over time for being a hater uh, of Sebastian Vettel. And that is not the case. I've got a great deal of respect for Sebastian Vettel. He is a four-time world champion. He, he's won a lot of races. I mean, he hasn't won a race now in over a year, which is um, quite frankly surprising. But uh, when you see how, unfortunately, he's struggled and some of the problems that he's had and, and, and some of the problems that you know, are a fault of the team and, and the strategy and the way that they wanted to do things or, uh, you know, go back to Monza last year, for example, and uh, it would have been of more benefit to give uh, Sebastian the toe um, rather than uh, Kimi Raikkonen in Q3. And that that really affected what happened and, and really led to or put uh, Sebastian in that Vettel to, uh, in, the, in the position to tangle with uh, Lewis Hamilton on that opening lap. But there are so many instances of that now. And he has one more year at uh, at Ferrari, and I have to believe now, based on what we've seen over the past year now, that I, I can't see Sebastian Vettel coming back to Ferrari after his current contract uh, expires at the end of next year. Maybe he will. Maybe they'll figure something out. Maybe he's willing to take a, a reduced role in the team and, uh, and, and be a support driver. I, 
I can't really see it. I mean, if you're a four-time world champion, I mean, he's only 32. I mean, you know, in theory, I mean, he's got uh, got a lot of uh, life left in his uh, racing career in Formula One. Uh, I, I mean, it's not really what I would consider a retirement age uh, driver by any means. I mean, I look at Kimi Raikkonen. I'm still not convinced that, uh, that, that that Kimi's retirement age, but uh, I mean, he knows when he's ready to hang him up. And that's why Kimi Raikkonen has uh, said that, you know, he's done at the end of 2020. But the thing is, I just don't know what's going to happen uh, to Sebastian Vettel. I mean, the way that things are going, unless he finds a way to really bump the slump here in the remaining eight races of the season or whatever it is uh, in 2019 and get onto some, I guess, uh, well, what's the best way to say it? Some form of his, uh, the, the, the form of Sebastian Vettel that we've been used to seeing over the past uh, several seasons and really come back and bounce back for the, the remainder of this year or at least for, for, for next year. I don't know how they could uh, really bring him back. I mean, I guess uh, money depends uh, on a lot of it. I guess, too, are the options uh, that they have. I mean, Charles isn't going anywhere. Charles Leclerc is obviously the rock star that uh, that Ferrari need. He's the driver that uh, that really looks like he's going to be able to win races for them. And where that leaves uh, Sebastian Vettel is a, is a great, great question. And I really don't know what's going to happen to him after next year. And... Well, where does he go? I mean, and, and, and who would replace him at Ferrari if he was to, to go? I mean, would Sebastian, after being a four-time world champion with Red Bull, then going to Ferrari and not being able to to live up uh, as of yet, uh, you know, to the dream of winning a, a world championship for the Scuderia while he's there and uh, and, and help maybe reestablishing the, uh, the the glory days that uh, the, the team saw, you know, 20 years ago at the beginning of the, uh, you know, the 2000s. That that that's a great question. I, I really have to think that the 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 window, although it may not be completely closed, there there still might be a little crack open. I think his window for success at Ferrari has sadly come and gone. I mean, he might uh, get a, the odd race win here or there, uh, but. I don't know, but the, the the big question is that if Sebastian Vettel were to not or not come back to Ferrari in twenty twenty one, who would they bring? Who who would go in and fill that seat? Uh, beside uh, beside uh, Charles Leclerc, do you you know drive a uh, truckload of money up to to Max Verstappen's house and uh, you know try and get him there? I mean, how cool of uh, you know like what a lineup. Would that be between uh, Max Verstappen and, and and Charles Leclerc Ferrari, or does that have the the the, the potential to be, uh, you know, a disaster in the making, uh, become something that would just have become too potent? Uh, I mean, I'm thinking a little bit uh, along the lines of, uh, you know, um, Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton. I mean, how bad that uh, relationship is. I mean, even in Ferrari, I mean, where it's, it's one of the biggest, most uh, successful teams in in Formula One, would there be enough room for Charles Leclerc and for uh, Max Verstappen? And, and who do you tell is one, you know the number one and who's number team or two in that team of uh, drivers? I mean, that that that's a tough, tough call, but... You know, the other surprising thing is about, uh, you know, uh, uh, Sebastian Vettel is that uh, he is uh, now just uh, three points off a a one-race ban. And that is, again, another mind-boggling thing that uh, just all the, you know, misadventures that this guy has had over the past year or so is he's been racking up the points and uh, because it... It wasn't a good look for him, obviously, to spin out uh, the way that he did, going through the uh, Ascari curve there, right before the very long uh, straightaway at the back of the track before they go into Parabolica. 
And he says he didn't see uh, Lance Stroll. And, uh, you know, there, there is a very, uh, you know, good chance. What with the hands device? What with the halo? What with, you know, the, the driver sitting very low in the, uh, the, the the cockpit? So, I mean, maybe the team has to, uh, you know, uh, own a little bit of that as well. And, uh, you know, somebody should have been on the radio saying, uh, you know, supporting him and telling him, okay, well, you know, may, you know watch out because uh, you got Lance Stroll coming around the corner here. So, you know, you, you don't have that much time to get the car turned around. And, I mean, he really only nicked him a little bit. It, but I mean, it really just uh, ruined uh, you know things uh, for 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 Lance. But <laughs> you know, the thing was, uh, you know, Lance skids off, goes into the gravel, comes back, and then almost does the exact same thing to Pierre Gasly that uh, that uh, Sebastian Vettel did to him. So that was just a, a bizarre uh, circumstance. I mean, uh, Stroll got a penalty for that as well, but uh, Vettel he was uh, you know the the, the primary suspect, uh, the the, pri- the primary uh, bad guy in that one. So that's. Why why he got the uh, you know the heftier penalty and 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 rightfully so, I mean should he have been black flagged and taken off? I mean I guess that was uh, open to them. I mean I think the bigger humiliation was the fact that uh, you know he, here's the guy that's supposed to be the man at uh, at Ferrari you know keeps having these adventures off the track into the gravel into the grass whatever it might uh, be, and then uh, you know has this embarrassing moment of taking out another car as he's getting the car turned around and back onto the track. It just looks terrible, and by the time he goes into the pits and gets a you know, new a set of tires and uh, gets a new nose cone. I mean, he's right at the back of the, uh, you know, the, the, the running order at that point. I mean, his day's uh, effectively done. And then uh, eventually, I mean, he is lapped by his own teammate. I mean, the black flag might have actually been merciful. It might have been uh, doing Sebastian Vettel a, va- uh, a favor to get him off of the track and uh, out of the situation uh, that uh, he found himself in. Because obviously being at the very back of the, the the running order at Monza in a Ferrari, not a very good place to be. Anyways, time for another break. We'll uh, be back in just a moment, so don't go away. We'll be uh, back in just a few moments. All right, welcome back to the show. And guys, again, it's NFL season. I really enjoyed opening weekend. I mean, we had uh, games Thursday night, Sunday, Monday. You know, it's just great. You know, there's NFL on all the time. So remember, if you're going out to, to check out a game uh, this week, uh, head on over to the Vivid Seats uh, mobile app and you can save up to $100 on all ticket uh, purchases for first-time customers only uh, by using the the, the promo code uh, overtime. So remember to go and check that out. Certainly, you know, I'm looking forward to, again to the next uh, the, the next weekend of the NFL coming up here in a couple of days. It's an off weekend for Formula one we've got singapore coming up and uh, that's always one of my favorite uh, races uh, of, of the year uh, it's uh, one of the most physically demanding uh, tracks on the uh, the entire calendar and uh, for some reasons i i thought way back when they introduced night races into formula one i i always thought it was a little bit uh, gimmicky to be quite honest but uh, they they've grown on me well, I mean, honestly, the, I, I felt I was proven wrong, at least in my own mind, almost uh, right from the, the, the very beginning. And uh, I've just uh, come to be a, a big fan of uh, night racing and Formula One and uh, really enjoy the uh, Singapore Grand Prix. So looking forward to that uh, coming up uh, just uh, just in a week's time. So we were talking about uh, Vettel and uh, and uh, Leclerc and all the naughty things that have uh, been going on uh, at uh, at Ferrari and uh, some of the things on the track. But like I say, I mean Sebastian, where do you go? Because I mean, even Ross Braun, he's he's talked about this a couple of times uh, over the season so far. Far and uh, Braun, I mean, obviously one of the greats at uh, Ferrari when they were so dominant in the the late '90s and early 2000s. He says it's essential that Ferrari rebuild Sebastian Vettel 
Powell's confidence uh, for for twenty uh, for twenty twenty, and uh, this is in uh, response uh, to the latest uh, incident uh, that uh, Seb had at uh, at the Ascari Curve at uh, at Monza just over the uh, over the weekend, and uh, and Ross says, and I quote, Vettel's clearly one of the greats of our sports, but at this tough time, he really needs the support of the team to regain the confidence he seems to be lacking at the moment. That, as well as pushing the car uh, on with the car development, has to be a a priority for Matteo Bonato in the coming weeks. It won't be easy, but especially essential in terms of 2020 and uh, that is uh, you know a, a great point and that's why you know I I, I really have to wonder what uh, what's going to happen there for for Sebastian Vettel I, I I would hate to see him go uh, I I would like to see whether or not he'd be able to um, win a world championship uh, for Ferrari and uh, maybe uh, catch up a, a little bit in uh, terms of overall titles with, with Lewis Hamilton but you know my 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 heart says one thing, but my 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 mind, my brain tells me something else, and uh, I, I really get the feeling now that if somebody wins a championship at uh, Ferrari, it's more likely to be Charles Leclerc than uh, Sebastian Vettel. But uh, talking now a little bit about uh, Mercedes, they said that they weren't holding back the uh, the engine, uh, despite some of the problems that they've had uh, with the, the the new spec, which is their 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 phase uh, three uh, engine, and uh, it was a little bit uh, well. There was uh, some uh, concerns with. Uh, you know the uh, with the engine that he introduced at uh, Spa about uh, almost two weeks ago with uh, Sergio Perez and uh, Robert Kubica uh, having problems with their customer units. So you know Perez obviously in the the Racing Point and uh, Kubica in the the, the Williams. So it uh, they said before the race it was they were unsure if uh, they would be able to uh, be comfortable enough to unleash the full potential of the the, the new power units because uh, they did have some problems with them. But uh, they did go on to say that uh, that or, or Total Wolf said that uh, they didn't uh, uh, hold anything back. So that uh, that really is uh, surprising. I mean, considering how dominant uh, Mercedes have been at times uh, over this year, uh, that uh, at uh, at Spa and uh, at uh, Italy at Monza last weekend, that they didn't have the best package. And uh, you know, it, it's interesting when you hear little tidbits, little nuggets of uh, of information come out like that, especially from the big boss. From from Total Wolf to say that uh, that they are they aren't holding the things back, and then uh, you know he uh, you know Wolf goes on to say, and he's just uh, quite blunt and very forthcoming about it that they just did not have the right uh, package for Spa or Monza. But you know let let's be fair about it. We did talk about it on this show that uh, a couple of weeks ago that just based on the the differences between the W10 and the the Ferrari SF90. Was that the, the the Mercedes is a better rounded, better car that's suited to a more variety of uh, uh, situations, uh, more more tracks. Where Ferrari, they have that straight line speed, but they don't have the downforce, and it really affects them in the cornering. And also doesn't help them generate enough downforce to get the temperature and the heat into the tires. So it's kind of a, kind of a double whammy there that uh, that they're really fighting against. But uh, honestly, this was something that we said on the show that uh, that if Ferrari were going to win any races this year until, well, I mean, up until Hungary, I mean, it looked like uh, that they weren't going to be uh, winning a race at all, period. I mean, it, it looked like at, uh, at least going into the summer break that the, the one race that they had the chance to win was way back in Bahrain, but they, they had uh, the, the problems there, which cost uh, Charles the, the, the victory. And up until Spa, I was really thinking that might have been the one opportunity that they had to win a race this season was in Bahrain. And maybe there's going to have a year where they don't get up on the top step. But for uh, Spa, 
and uh, and uh, and Monza being the tracks that they are, they were going always going to be the the, the two legit choices or options or uh, races, whatever you want to say that uh, that would be more favorable to Ferrari. And you got to give Charles Leclerc credit because he really stepped up and uh, and and took uh, you know took the advantage uh, that uh, or what advantage that he had and translated that and uh, helped him uh, win two races. But uh, you know it, it is uh, interesting to see. For, uh, Mercedes talking about uh, being at a bit of a disadvantage, being a little bit of a, dif- a deficit uh, to someone else when it's usually everybody uh, trying to, to catch up uh, to them. So it is um, they, they do have some work uh, you know coming up. But I, I you know, looking at the, the the races that we have left, I mean it's it's possible that Ferrari could maybe win another race here or there at, at the end of the season. Maybe Max Verstappen fancies his chances uh, somewhere else, but. Uh, apart from Spa and Monza, I'm not really sure where the the SF90 might be uh, well suited uh, with the races that are left on the calendar. But uh, they at least got a couple of wins. It's it's not great uh, considering that uh, you know the the way that they progressed over the past couple of seasons. But at least by the time it's all said and done in November, that uh, at least they're not going home uh, empty-handed. So it, it it it's something. And maybe it's uh, you know, these cap- past couple of uh, races just are maybe a couple of stepping stones that help uh, Ferrari get it turned around, get the ship uh, pointed in the right direction, and help uh, start uh, making some positive steps. Uh, to uh, finish 2019 on a positive note and uh, rebuild and uh, set up a, a good foundation uh, for 2020. Of course, they got to get the, uh, you know, the design and the the concept uh, of the new uh, car for 2020 uh, a, a lot better. And uh, it'll be interesting uh, next year to see where they go and uh, what the, the, you know, what uh, philosophies and how they design the new car based on the lessons of uh, 2019 and, uh, well, maybe not so much uh, 2018. Anyways, McLaren, remember them? They've had a pretty darn good year so far. I mean, they're still fourth in the world championship, but let's be honest, Monza was not a great uh, weekend for them. Uh, Carlos Sainz uh, ended up uh, being... uh, uh, ended up uh, not finishing the race because uh, the the right front uh, tire did not go on correctly at his uh, pit stop. So he goes out on the track and then uh, he has to park the car. And then on top of that, uh, you know the the, the the you know the self-inflicted uh, DNF of um, of Carlos Sainz is just added to the fact that they also get uh, nailed with a a fine for an unsafe uh, release uh, from the pit lane, and uh, and rightly so. But it was uh, disappointing because you know I, I've talked about it uh, you know a number of times over the course of the season so far and McLaren have been for me I wouldn't say a re- uh, revelation but certainly uh, this year they have uh, made a lot of steps promising steps in the right direction for the first time in uh, in, a, in a number of years I mean they're still quite a long ways off uh, challenging po- for podiums and for race victories uh, and I, I don't think that's uh, you know unfair assessment or uh, you know character uh, characterization of what's uh, going on there but I mean, they have been going in the right uh, direction. I mean, they really have been the best of the rest of the rest. I mean, if if, if Red Bull are the best of the rest, um, then McLaren have been the best of the rest of everyone else, and uh, you know the rest of the well, <laughs> which is basically five eighths of the, uh, the the rest of the, uh, the the Formula One grid. Uh, but you know, I mean, they, they've had good uh, some good results this year, but uh, Monza was a disappointing one for them. I mean, like I say, I mean, you know, losing one of your cars because of a, a you know a bad pit stop and not getting a tire uh, so properly secured is just a, a little bit uh, embarrassing for them.
them. But I think that they'll bounce back. Uh, they seem to finally have a lot of good people in the right jobs at uh, McLaren, and they're they're getting it uh, sorted out uh, slowly but surely. And uh, it'll obviously be one that they want to put behind them and forget about. I mean, they only got uh, one point, and that uh, was uh, you know uh, brought to them by uh, uh, by Lando Norris, who came home in, uh, in P10. So uh, McLaren work to do for the rest of the season. And talking about another team with Renault, uh, and that's uh, the Renault Works team rather than the customer team like uh, McLaren. They said that the results uh, that they had in Monza, which was uh, P4 and P5 for uh, uh, Ricardo and Hulkenberg, uh, respectively, they said that uh, after that result, it made uh, Formula One feel like a different sport. And uh, yeah, obviously, I, I mean, uh, that, uh, that, that P4 and P5 uh, for Renault was uh, very much uh, for, for them, at least in the, from their perspective, in their context, was winning uh, fourth and fifth was uh, just uh, bringing their cars home one and two for uh, for. for a race win because it's it's been a bit of a struggle for them this year and uh, it was always going to be a gamble obviously for Danny Ricardo to go there and I mean I, I'm still can vividly remember exactly where I was just over a year ago when uh, the announcement came out on uh, Ricardo's Twitter that uh, that he decided to leave Red Bull and go to uh, Renault for 2020 or 2019 so that that was the big uh, big shocker but uh, I, I always felt that there must have been like one massive bit of sweet talking and convincing to get him to go and uh, drive for Renault after, uh, you know, I mean, he had a, a successful stint at Red Bull, was able to win some races and get some podiums. And, you know, he's been um, obviously a, a very good driver there, but uh, it, it was very, very risky. And unfortunately the, um, you know, it, it had been put out uh, um, uh, that. It was not working out to his, uh, you know, to his uh, you know, best advantage. It really looked like, up until uh, you know, at least till Monza, that uh, that it didn't look like a great move, and that it just really made it look like it was. I wouldn't say maybe a desperation move, but it looked like a um, you know, a move that uh, he just wanted to get away from uh, Red Bull and get away from the shadow of Max Verstappen and go uh, somewhere uh, somewhere else uh, instead. So. You know, it's it is promising for them, but you know they got uh, their like a new spec engine in the car that they used, and uh, whether or not they'll be able to do something with it, they have to get some positive uh, momentum. I mean, if Ferrari needs positive momentum for 2020, then they do as well because they've really stagnated over the past uh, year and a half, maybe two years, despite all the things you know that they've said publicly. You know, they've uh, increased their budget and they've hired more people and they're doing all these things right off of the track, and that you know you'll hear over. Uh, different uh, points in the season that uh, they think that their uh, engine is now one of the top ones in Formula One, whatever it might be, and all, all these different things. But it just has not translated into uh, any success uh, on the track, and 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 it is sad to see. I mean, to a certain extent, uh, you know, I, I think that they got a good pair of drivers there with uh, Ricardo and with uh, Nico Hulkenberg, so they got the talent to get some points. I mean, at this you know stage that they're at right now, I mean. I, I would think that they have to be targeting, like say, top five finishes and and maybe maybe the occasional podium. I mean, th- I think that would be uh, ideal for them. I mean, they'd have to make a almost a quantum leap in the development of their car and engine if they figure that they can get up in uh, and and really challenge like Ferrari and Mercedes and Red Bull. I mean, uh, Red Bull uh, is is really grown under under Honda. I mean, that's why it's disappointing to see Max struggling the way he was in in uh, at Monza past uh, this past weekend. But. Uh, you know, it, 
it is a step in the right direction, but it's something that they really need to perpetuate and take it forward because they do have their struggles. They do have some things uh, going on. And we'll talk about that in just a moment here on uh, Scuderia F1 on the Overtime Media Network. Don't go away. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back to the show here on the Overtime Media Network. Uh, once again, it's Mark Daly talking about Formula One here on the podcast, and uh, we're coming to you again this week from the Vivid Seats studio. And uh, going back to, to Renault, like we were just talking about uh, before the break here, obviously a great result for them in uh, Monza last weekend uh, in, in a season that really hasn't been anything to, to write home about, and it was a, a great result. But like I was saying, they have to do something uh, to, to, to keep it going. It looks like this new spec engine uh, looks promising, and and um, so uh, something hopefully for them to build on, but on the financial side, and this is a little bit uh, disappointing to, to see, but uh, you know maybe not uh, that much of a surprise considering all the money that uh, they've really uh, put into the team and, uh, and, and and investing in more personnel and development and all those sorts of things and, and a bigger budget. However, they still posted a 7.4 million pound loss for 2018. So they, they generated more income in 2018 than they did the year before. And uh, the, the new uh, records uh, for their accounts uh, show that uh, their uh, annual turnover rose from uh, 136.3 million pounds in 27, sorry, 2017 to 146 mil, or 146.6 million pounds uh, last year. So uh, the figure that uh, for last year was uh, was uh, bolstered in part from the ninth place finish in the 2016 World Championship to sixth in 2017, and then uh, the, the benefits uh, were felt again the the year after. Um, they had a modest profit of 1.1 million pounds in 2017, but then that uh, became a uh, obviously a, a bigger loss, being a you know seven. Point four million pounds in the red uh, last year. So, uh, Renan was saying that um, the part of the reason for that was uh, the the weak pound, and I guess uh, maybe those of the UK can maybe um, uh, understand this a little bit more. So maybe Brexit has something to do with that. Um, and they were said that they noted despite that the continued growth and turnover of financial results have deteriorated for the first time in three years, and uh, they say that was primarily driven by uh, two uh, two factors. Um, so that the first was the the expected turnover that. Uh, was negatively uh, impacted by the strength of the British pound versus the euro, euro and the US dollar and uh, then the extra resources that uh, that were uh, added in season to car development as the, the team uh, really battled uh, for fourth place. So I mean that worked out last year I mean obviously they finished uh, fourth in the world championship and uh, this year it's not over. I mean um, they did not score a whole heap of points uh, between uh, the Canadian Grand Prix and, uh, and, and Monza last weekend. I think off the top of my head, I read somewhere over the past couple of days that it was something like 15 points from Montreal to uh, Spa. So that is not a lot. But then they got 22 points uh, between the pair of them last weekend. So if uh, they they have a couple more weekends like that, then they will be all over the back of uh, McLaren, perhaps even in front of them in the World Championship. And uh, that could be a bit of a a fun side story to watch as we uh, go into the stretch uh, run here in the the, the Formula One uh, 2019 World Championship. I mean, all eyes are going to be on uh, what uh, Charles Leclerc doing. Is he really going to be the new rock star in Formula One? Is he going to be the, you know, the the new number one guy at uh, for Ferrari? So I mean, that's going to be a fun story to watch. It'll be fun to watch uh, Lewis Hamilton and see uh, what you know, like uh, how long it takes him to uh, win the World Championship this year. I mean, it, it's 
obviously a foregone conclusion he's going to win at this point, but it's still going to be able to watch as he hones in on, on six plays, or sorry, a six world championship, which uh, will put him one off a, a tie of seven with uh, Michael Schumacher. So that's going to be a fun one. But outside of those big storylines, watching uh, the, the the battle between Renault and McLaren might not uh, get a lot of the headlines, but um, I think that's one we should watch out and see what uh, what goes on over there over the next uh, couple of months. Now, talking about uh, teams that uh, that have posted uh, losses, uh, <laughs> this should not be a, a surprise, but Williams is uh, has posted a uh, a loss. So they they said that they uh, generated uh, forty six point three million pounds from January to June, uh, compared to uh, sixty point seven million pounds last year, and uh, then um, they have also posted a loss of sixteen point eight million pounds, uh, which was after they uh, uh, posted a profit of just uh, 0.2 million pounds in the, the same time last year. So, um, I mean, there there were some, uh, some of these things were offset by their, their sister company, the Williams uh, Group, uh, which is uh, Williams Advanced Engineering. And uh, I mean, just uh, looking at the way that they're struggling uh, in Formula One um, and the fact that, the, you know, I can't remember last year how many world championship points they had. I mean, they got one this year. I mean, they didn't get more than a couple at most last year, so they're not getting the the, the benefit of those uh, payments. I mean, plus all the, the the you know the money that they're putting into developing the car has to come more from sponsorships and the money that they're getting from other areas rather than the uh, you know prize money from Formula One. So that was not a uh, a big shocker to see that uh, that Williams uh, had uh, you know posted a loss. I, I was more surprised that Renault had, but uh, obviously that was due to a couple of factors we talked about. But uh, you know the struggles for uh, Williams uh, continue both both on and off uh, the track. Now uh, talking a little bit more about uh, uh, other Grand Prix. I mean we, are, we all know that we got uh, the the biggest Formula One season in history coming up uh, next year, twenty twenty. It's going to see twenty two Grand Prix for the first time in history. I mean it's uh, going to be great. There's going to be a lot of back to back race weekends, which is uh, something that's awesome. I still love the one that we had last year, the back to back to back. What was it? Uh, France, Britain, and Germany all uh, in the space of uh, three weekends. I know that kind of really pushes uh, resources and, uh, and and bodies to the the, the limit as, uh, you know, the teams and drivers and, and everybody uh, basically uh, goes into survival mode to go through something like that. But it, it was it was exciting. I mean, I'd, I'd love to see that again, but I, I realize it's a real, um, you know, real logistical undertaking to, to get that done. So, you know, I'll, I'll be perfectly satisfied with <laughs> a bunch of back-to-back uh, weekends. But anyways... Imola and Mugello in Italy, they're both uh, weighing up uh, potential bids to get uh, Formula One uh, in the future. And uh, Monza, of course, that was some of the news that came out just prior to the um, the, the, the race there, has uh, announced that they have a new uh, multi-year deal, which uh, goes for, uh, I think it was five years, I think goes up to, to 2025. So great to see that Monza will be on the uh, uh, on, on the Formula One calendar, at least for the, uh, you know, the, the, the mid-medium term here coming up in the, in the future. So Imola, of course, has been... Been, um, on the Formula One Canada uh, calendar before, uh, hosting the uh, the Grand Prix or the San Marino Grand Prix there uh, over the years, and um, it, it needs to get to FIA uh, Grade One status to host a, a Formula One uh, uh, race. But that's after 
after they've been undergoing some development work there and uh, that included uh, cutting the final chicane and um, well the last time they hosted a race there was over a decade ago and that was uh, 2006 so Mugello is a MotoGP uh, venue and uh, they've never had a Formula 1 race there although it's uh, they've had uh, race uh, or uh, testing there and uh, the, the most recently was uh, in, in 2012 so um, it's can we add more races there? <laughs> I, I I don't know. I mean, from what uh, I've been reading over the past couple of uh, you know months or so here, as uh, the, the the new schedule for 2020 was sort of uh, hashed out and uh, and races were confirmed, or in the the, the case of say uh, Vietnam, uh, you know, added to the calendar for the first time, it really sounds to me like 22 is um, pretty much the max. I mean, I've heard that perhaps maybe go up to to 23. So I don't know whether or not uh, we could uh, manage to squeeze one more in uh, or not so we'll see anyways uh, sticking with uh, you know talking about uh, names and uh, and and uh, and drivers from the past there's a report that came out of La Parisienne that seven-time world champion uh, Michael Schumacher has been uh, receiving hospital uh, treatment at um, in, in in Paris uh, meeting with a, a, a real specialist uh, there that has uh, some pioneered some stem cell therapy uh, to treat heart failure so that uh, sounds somewhat uh, ominous and, and and not good for Michael Schumacher, obviously. Michael has been out of the public eye for over half a decade now since uh, having a, a really nasty accident uh, at skiing at the Maribel Ski Resort in France way back in 2013. And uh, nobody's really ever known what uh, what the, the true extent of his uh, injuries were. I mean, uh, his uh, condition has been uh, a, a closely guarded uh, uh, secret by, by his, uh, his family. I mean, his uh, agent occasionally has uh, things to say and gives uh, some, uh, you know, brief updates, but uh, they, they tend to be somewhat uh, brief and somewhat um, you know short and, and, and vague on the the amount of material in them so it um, I don't know what uh, what there is uh, to the story but it sounds like it's uh, it's credible uh, so I'll hope that uh, that uh, seven-time world champion uh, Michael Schumacher is in, uh, in good health and uh, hope that uh, we hear something uh, positive uh, about him uh, sooner rather than later and finally, Pirelli is uh, getting ready for the last 2020 tire test of the year, but has uh, been asking uh, for more time. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, that will go down at Circuit Paul Ricard on Thursday next week. And uh, this will give them the, the last uh, chance to test its uh, 2020 prototype uh, tires. And, um, well, they, they've asked uh, for more time because there was a, a letter that was uh, sent out, uh, or a target letter for the 2021 uh, tire specs that was uh, circulated last month. And uh, Pirelli has uh, requested uh, extra time uh, or test time to um, uh, develop it uh, further. Uh, so the teams need to uh, agree upon that. So uh, the uh, the test will be uh, done by uh, Esteban Ocon and uh, Sergei Sorotkin, who was a Williams driver last year. And uh, Sorotkin will be um, uh, testing the uh, 2020 prototype 18-inch uh, tires on a, a Renault mule car. So uh, it's still interesting uh, to see uh, how that's going to play out. And also the uh, the 2021 regs, you know, that's still a little bit of a mystery. I mean, it, uh, it's been dragging on for... Gosh, seems like uh, forever. I mean, we've been talking on it uh, off and on on the program here for, gosh, over a year, perhaps a year and a half now already. And uh, it's really coming down to, to crunch time. But anyways, uh, be interesting to see uh, whether or not uh, Pirelli gets this uh, additional test time that uh, they've asked. And also, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to hear what uh, sort of feedback uh, we get uh, from uh, Sorotkin and from uh, Pirelli after they get that test done, uh, testing the uh, the new 18-inch wheels. I mean, we, we don't know what's going to happen for 2020, but at least we know what's happening 
happening with the uh, with the tires. So uh, look forward to, to hearing uh, what's uh, going on uh, with that just in a couple days' time. Anyways, that's a good place to leave the program off uh, for this week. I uh, hope you enjoyed uh, listening to the show. It's getting late here in my little studio, and uh, I'm ready to call it a night. Uh, it's going to be an early start for me in the morning. Anyways, thank you very much uh, for downloading and listening to the show. If you want to support us, the easiest way is just to head on over to uh, Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform uh, wherever you download and listen to the show. Um, leave us a, a good rating and review. Obviously, we'd love to see five-star rev- ratings, but uh, the, the, that is honestly the easiest way to, to so show your support uh, for the work that we do here. And uh, we'd be uh, very grateful if uh, you, some of you would uh, go and do that and, and help us out. Anyways, if you have any questions or comments or feedback, uh, get in touch with me on Twitter at ScuderiaF1 or via Gmail. And uh, the email, sorry, my email, Gmail, starting to, <laughs> starting to lose it here, guys. Anyways, email address is ScuderiaF1pod at gmail.com. Anyways, that's a wrap. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend, guys. We'll talk to you again soon. Ciao. Thanks for listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1pod at gmail.com.